0: Golden State Warriors Basketball.
1: Shoots over Danny Green. Rainbow! Nothing but net! How did he do it? The fifth three-point shot of the night for Steph Curry.
0: This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy.
1: Thomas will take it middle on the dribble, high dribble on Klay Thompson. Goes all the way to the bucket, goes up and a block by Bogut! Bogut blocks it, ball game's over, and...
2: Truly a game-saving play Sunday afternoon in Sacramento. Andrew Boga coming through. The Warriors got the win. And, of course, going right back on the road now in Houston, Texas, to take on the Rockets, followed by a game in Memphis, and then wrapping up a very odd three-game trip in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim Roy, and it's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. And I know right now you're wondering, yes, Tim, the, the Warriors did win in Sacramento, but what about the other night? We're going to get to the other night in just a moment. But first, let me tell you what's upcoming this hour. We're going to talk about the next opponents, and they include, of course, the Rockets, the Grizzlies, the Bobcats, and the Dallas Mavericks. And I'll check in with some colleagues of mine, uh, the voices of those four respective teams. Craig Ackerman, the voice of the Rockets, will join us, followed by Eric Hasseltine, the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies. Scott Lauer of the Charlotte Bobcats will tell us about a team that's playing very well on the defensive side of the ball but needs some help. On the offensive side, Chuck Cooperstein, the voice of the Mavericks, will talk about Dirk Nowitzki and Monte Ellis. monte coming back to Oracle, and that's next Wednesday night. As always, I'll try to answer a couple of questions in our Twitter segment, at Warriors V O X. and coming up in just a few moments, a conversation with Jermaine O'Neal, who is quickly becoming the heart and soul of the Warriors locker room. He had an inspiring halftime speech the other night against Toronto, which helped the Warriors rally in the second half, and of course he starred off the previous road trip, filling in for Andrew Bogut with an 18.8 rebound night against the New Orleans Pelicans. You don't want to miss the interview with Jermaine O'Neal. He's a very thoughtful man and has some very interesting things to say about his NBA career. A quick reminder, Warrior fans, you can help send the Warriors to the 2014 NBA All-Star game in New Orleans. Go to warriors.com slash dub the vote. Vote tonight at warriors.com slash dub the vote. But as promised, we have to go back and relive Tuesday night. You remember Tuesday, don't you? Toronto Raptors in town, Golden State playing very sluggish. But at halftime, when the Warriors were down, Jermaine O'Neal gave a speech to the club. It didn't seem to work right away because just a few minutes later, in the third quarter, Golden State was down 75-48. to 48. That's right, 75-48. to 48. They trailed by 27 points. But they started to play better basketball. Andrew Bogut scored six quick points. And it seemed like the Warriors started to make some inroads. But still, at the end of three quarters, they were down by 18 points. Now the Warriors going into the fourth quarter, in their history, starting the fourth quarter, down by 18 or more. Their record was 1-451. and Let me say that again. Their record was one 1- and 451, the only time in their history when they were down by 18 or more and rallied to win, was on February 9, 1962, at the Boston Garden. The Philadelphia Warriors were down 103-84. They outscored Boston 42-21 in the final session. Will Chamberlain had 48 points and 29 rebounds in that game. And those numbers courtesy of our friends from the Elias Sports Bureau. So, down 18, starting the fourth quarter. But the Warriors got a quick five points, and all of a sudden you looked up, and Golden State was down by 13 with about nine minutes to go, and that is a manageable number in the NBA. But that does not give justice to the fourth quarter. 13 of 19 from the floor. That's what the Warriors shot, and there were no mid-range jumpers. It was either layups, shots around the rim, or three-point shots. It was a dazzling display. Golden State rallied for the win. They won by nine, and in fact, that's the largest in regulation in NBA history for a team that trailed by at least 18 points starting the fourth quarter. A couple things happened I would never saw before. One of them was on the Toronto side. Toronto did not get a defensive rebound in the fourth quarter. They did not get a defensive rebound in the fourth quarter. And the other thing that I saw in a regulation game, I'd have to go back and really scratch my head. But everybody was standing at Oracle for about the final 8 minutes of the contest, and that was something that uh, boy, uh, if if you weren't there, uh, you really wish you were because it was an amazing an amazing fourth quarter. And I know that you want to relive it. Don't- good pump, they got Bogan. spin move.
1: Oh, right hand dunk over Bogan, Oh my goodness! <laughs> Balanchunas pulled that one out, and the crowd went ooh off
2: the spin! Wow! Hansborough fights for the rebound, gets it. Hansborough back up, draws a foul. It's good, and he's going to go to the line. And the Warriors are getting hurt by offensive rebounds.
3: Well, we got a rebound the basketball. You know, when they were driving to the to the lane, and our defense was collapsing. They were getting to the offensive rebound. They had 15 second-chance points. This is a team that leads the NBA in second-chance points. I feel like if we take care of dribble penetration, then rebound the basketball, we're playing well offensively, and this game can definitely turn
2: around. Weir Johnson running right-hand hook. It's good. 29 of 34 in his career at Oracle. He's unstoppable. 7 of 8 from the floor tonight. 84-62. Warriors down 22. Clay Thompson almost Got traveled inside the boat, and he slammed it down 13 more times. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> I'm becoming a believer. There you go. Five green, touch pass Thompson. He's open, loads one up, and buries a triple. Bet that felt good. Yep. Passes to Thompson, right side. He'll fire away. Three ball for Clay Thompson, and Golden State opens the fourth quarter with a good possession.
1: Just when I thought I was out.
2: They pull me back in. Down Broadway, goes up, lost the ball, O'Neal gets it and dumps it with a left hand.
3: Absolutely speechless.
2: Curry off a high screen, bounce pass, O'Neal, dribbles in, bounce pass, Lee with a dunk. David Lee goes baseline and throws it down
1: off a beautiful bounce pass for Jermaine O'Neal. It's an 11-point game. Oracle
2: is rocking and Toronto wants a timeout.
0: At halftime, we were very upset with the way we played. I thought we got outplayed uh, intensity-wise in the first half. Their bigs out rebounding us. Their guards out-shot us. Um, and uh, we were just, to seem like a step slow.
2: Curry finds Green. He's open. Right angle. Triple. Got it! The
1: 10-point game! 94-84. 8. 28 to go!
2: Green back for the rebound. Swings the ball to Curry. Curry at the front court. Here comes Lee with the screen. Curry splits traffic to the paint. Back to Lee. Give it go. Right at layup. Sweet. Lee finds Thompson. Right angle triple on the way. Got it.
1: Curry hits a switch guarded by Gay. Curry dribbles, waits, and shoots a three. Got it from the left wing. Rudy Gay was right up bottom. It's a one point game. It's unbelievable. When it's loud and, and raucous, and you know we have the momentum on our side teams get tight. Back to Draymond he's open he'll fire up and no good Jermaine O'Neal hustles to the rebound finds Thompson to Curry left side he'll fake takes it a dribble the shots up and good! The Warriors take the lead with three minutes to go! They're dancing in the aisles at Oracle. one one 99 Golden State well it's been a long time since they led in this game their last lead, it was 4-2. to two.
2: Curry right sideline. Throws to Thompson. He's open behind
1: the screen. Three ball, Clay Thompson, number seven of the corner for Golden State. Barnes, he's open for a triple in rhythm. Harrison Barnes, 109-103, Warriors. And again, it's dance time in Oracle. Raptors take the full timeout. Don't you wish you were here? This was unbelievable. Golden State down 27. It ties the largest comeback
2: in the league this year. Miami was down 27 to Cleveland, and they roared back for a win at Golden State with a victory in dramatic fashion.
0: State Warriors Basketball.
2: Lee wrestles away the rebound, leads a three-on-two fight, Bogan running the floor, and he
0: throws it down with two hands. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable.
1: Turns on Jermaine O'Neal, got blocked by O'Neal, Hit it on the glass and knocked it away to Harrison Barnes.
2: I'm Tim Roy for Warriors Radio, talking with Jermaine O'Neal, and, and uh, first of all, uh, give me your uh, early season Analysis of uh, you and and your role with the Golden State Warriors. Well, um, you know it's a work in progress,
3: you know, for me. And um, you know, we're not a traditional uh, post up team. Uh, we use the big guys to post up a lot. Um, so it's something that you know I'm still adapting to, and you know, trying to get used to, still so trying to find my way uh, to be as effective as I possibly can be. But um, you know, when you sign up in situations like that, you know what the scenarios are, uh, you know what the challenges are, and uh, you, you continue to work. Uh, you, you continue to uh, communicate with the coaches, uh, your teammates, and um, and work forward to trying to uh, ultimately be in the, in the best position um, to be as effective as you as you possibly can, and also help the team. What attracted you to signing with Golden State? Um, you know, I, they they were in the radar even last year. I knew it was a chance that I um, could have came here, uh, you know, during the uh, trade deadline, and also. Um, during the wave, um, I, was, I had an opportunity to ax out of my deal um, uh, to, uh, right after the trade deadline. But I uh, wanted to honor my um, obligations uh, with the Phoenix Suns and finish the job. And, and I started watching uh, the team and, and looking at the style of play and uh, the pieces that they had. So I, I knew a little bit about them before I got here. Uh, obviously, uh, I know a lot about Mark Jackson. Uh, coach uh, Bob Myers, who was uh, my agent um, for 13, 14 years. I know him very well. That didn't hurt. (laughs) That didn't didn't hurt uh, at all. Um, So, you know, I I really started doing my homework. So when I got the call, um, my my agent, Aaron Tellum, told me that, you know, know, we made a short list that Golden State was one of them. Um, I was pretty, uh, pretty comfortable with making that decision. I thought they were Were probably the best fit for me.
2: Ultimately, um, I think I thought they had the best chance of winning it all. When you were first drafted by the Trailblazers, did you envision yourself playing, you know, and now into your 18th year? You know what? It's hard to um, it's hard to look that far down the road. You know, I'm not (laughs)
3: gonna lie to you. Sit here, lie to you, and say, yeah, I I thought I was gonna play 18 years. But um, you know, I I really feel blessed uh, for you know for the opportunity uh, to not only go through all the ups. Also the downs as well, because I think ultimately has made me a better, a better person, you know, a better man, um, father, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and I've had a, a great opportunity to do something that people dream about doing, uh, and also be able to, you know, use it as a, a tool to better you know, my family's life and and also myself away from basketball.
2: Yeah, nice run in Indiana, almost a decade there. Yeah, right. but you missed uh, head coach by Mark Jackson by a year. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you know, they came off the finals run and they basically retooled uh, uh, the team, The very, you know, t- two months later. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've seen Mark, I've played against Mark. Um, you know, it's funny that, you know, I'm starting to see all these head coaches now that I actually, you know, Brian Shaw I played with. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it just says how long I've been in the league, but ultimately I know what type of guy, you know, Mark is, and he had a lot to do with uh, with me making that decision to come here.
2: Now when you were traded from Portland to Indiana, I, I heard a story about Joe Klein. Is that is that true? Do you know this story about how they called him, and said we need you to sign a contract that that you don't have to show up, but you have to sign a contract to make the deal work? Is that true? Um,
3: you know what, I, I did hear about that, but I didn't know whether it was true or not. You know, I, I was so excited about, you know, getting an opportunity to, uh, to play in Indiana, um, you know, because I knew anything that I really wanted in my career was going to be up to me now, and I didn't ask any questions, you know, when I got the call. I was actually I just got to Jamaica with my, you know, my at the time girlfriend, which is my wife now. And we were like we were there for a day and my agent called and said, "Yo, yeah, we need to get you back um, you know, to the States to, uh to to get to Indianapolis to take a physical because you've been traded." Uh, and that was one of the better, you know, better days of my life because I knew that that was my opportunity then.
2: For the record, uh, from what I've heard, uh, Joe Klein was called, got to a fax machine, signed a contract for a million or whatever it was, never showed up in Indiana and, and had a had a nice way to end his career. But uh, you had a great run there. You, you had three years in a row where you averaged over 19, over 10 rebounds. Two of those were 20 and 10. And, and it seemed like you really fit there at that point of your career. Right. Um, I think it was a lot
3: of – it was just, you know, I, I was prepared for it um, my first four years in – and um, in Portland was uh, was really college one-on-one for me. I was able to understand how to be a pro, uh, understand the game better, uh, get better physically, uh, stronger physically, stronger mentally. Um, and when I got the opportunity um, uh, in Indiana, I was already prepared for it because I had don't I had don't against some of the best talent uh, that the league had at the forward and the center position with Rasheed Wallace, Brian Grant, you know, Arvidas Sabonis. Um, you know, it just goes on and on and on. You know, with all those names out there, and uh, Cliff Robinson, Gary Trent, can't forget those guys. They were huge in my development. Um, so, you know, I was I was I was really tooled and prepared for that uh, for that transition. So, uh, when I got it, um, it was just like, okay, you know, I've, I've went against some of the best on a day to day basis. Now I can kind of you know use what I learned against you know from those guys and use it against
2: the rest of the league. Jermaine O'Neal is my guest. I'm Tim Roy for Warriors Radio. You mentioned some names. Who are some of your favorite teammates over the career? Wow. Um,
3: Yeah, I've had some, you know, I've been really blessed to have a lot of great guys. You know, I've learned a lot um, from so many guys. Kenny Anderson, who was my locker mate uh, in Portland. Damon Stoudemire. um, Like I said, Gary Trent, who was the first person to pick me up from the airport when I got drafted. Uh, Rashid Wallace, uh, Bonzi yeah. Wells, Cliff Robinson, Detlef Shrimp, man, uh, Chris yeah. Dudley, wow. um, you yeah. Know, yeah. who's who, right? You know they, <laughs> in, you know, Portland changed the team every year. My my four years there, you know, they made some some you know some significant changes, and um, it was good for me because I was able to choose what I liked and what I didn't like, you know, from each player. You know, and it really taught me about being a professional and um, and my approach to the game. Uh, you know, people can say what they want to say about, you know, some of the guys on that team, like Gary Trent and Cliff and Rasheed, and, but those guys are some of the better people, you know, that I know. But ultimately, to answer your question, um, probably my favorite teammate of all time had to be uh, Reggie Miller. Um, just because it's, you know, it's... His character, personality, um, and he allowed me to be me, um, which is very difficult uh, for some older guys who, especially, just came off a championship uh, run. You know, some guys aren't open to you know the transition of you know younger guys coming in and you know basically taking over the ring. Um, but the first thing he said to me was, "You know, hey kid, I'm gonna let you be whoever you want to be, as long as you work hard at it." and, um, that meant a lot to me because, you know, that was one of the things I was a little bit worried about. You know, not even three months later, off of NBA Finals appearance, his first M- NBA Finals appearance, they basically gutted the team uh, to bring me and, and 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 some other young guys in. So, um, you know, to this very day, we still you know we still talk um, by text and we see each other when he's commentating the games. We talk. Um, so he's he's definitely my favorite.
2: Jermaine, let's talk a little bit about uh, with the Warriors right now first of all let's go back to uh, Thanksgiving you had family and you got to see your beloved uh, Dallas Cowboys up close and personal
3: yeah you know I'm um, you yeah, know I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a Dallas guy now you know I'm, I'm living out and uh, I been building a house in, in South Lake out in Dallas for uh, two years now so uh, we're probably 30 to 35 days of um, being totally completed um, so my wife and kids are based there right now and you know, I thought it was a great idea. You know, since we were in Dallas, you know, obviously playing the Mavs, they got a chance to stay over for my son to catch his first uh, Cowboys game. Since you know, we're breeding them to be Cowboy fans uh, in my house. Um, my daughter loved it, and my wife actually it was her first game as well. And you know, everybody loved you know, loved going out to the stadium. It's one of the best venues in the world. You know, if you haven't been to Cowboys Stadium, even if you're not a Cowboys fan. Uh, try to get out there and check that venue out because it's, it's, it's like, it's like no other.
2: When you were a little kid, who was the uh,
3: cowboy that you were a huge fan of? Man, it had to be, uh, I, you know, I I would probably, it it probably was a couple of people, you know, too tall Jones. Um, I was amazed with his size playing football. Uh, I I love, um, uh, Tom Landry's hat, um, (laughs) on the sideline and, uh, probably Danny White. Um, as a quarterback, you know, so I didn't really have a favorite guy, but I, those are just people that just yeah. always kind of
2: stuck out to me. With the Warriors, uh, you know, you're getting the ball in the post. You know, you 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 kind of uh, cement things out there, especially when some of the second unit guys are out there. You know, what do you envision as this team gets healthier and heads into the middle part of the season? Well, obviously, being better. You know, winning the games that we're supposed to win.
3: Uh, obviously, we got off to a pretty good start. Uh, the injuries kind of you know, hit us all at once. Um, but you know, if if I had a choice and saying, because it, it's going to happen to every team. Right. You're going to have injuries to every team. Uh, I'm, I'm, to a point, I'm a little bit happier that it's happening now than later. Right. And knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't happen later uh, as well. Uh, but these are the type of things that build character and gives everybody the opportunity to see what we really need to do and our focus and where our focus really need to be for us to win it all. Because I think one thing that our team doesn't quite understand quite yet uh, is how difficult it is to win in this league, and you know, when you're talking about winning a championship. You know that's even harder. Um, so you know things like everybody being able to step up into roles that they they're not quite used to being in. Um, it makes us better in the long run. Uh, hopefully, we can um, you know get our you know get our uh, our second team going because uh, I think we have the tools to. To really hurt teams uh, in the main way. Uh, But we just haven't really hit that stride. But all in all, I think we're going to be a really good team, and especially in the second half of the season, because we've, I think at that point, we've probably been able to see and been through everything
2: that we need to see and go through. Hopefully, after the first of the year, even Azalea gets back and gets Mm -hmm. another more help inside. The other night, eighteen points, eight rebounds in, in New Orleans, and I used Twitter during the game. I'm at WarriorsVox, Warriors Vox, Warriors V O X, if anyone wants to follow. And uh, I was talking to Maurice Spates post game radio. And you were talking to Jim Barnett on TV, and all of a sudden, my Twitter line just started blowing up. The fans' reaction to your interview was spectacular. Tell me about that. It seemed like I had to go back and watch it later just so I could understand what was going on. You were you were pretty emotional that night. First off,
3: I got to give the glory to God. You know, I haven't been able to practice. You know, I haven't been able to do anything but rehab. You know, I got the groin, I got the knee, I got the wrist, I got a viral infection. And God gave me the energy to come out here and perform. And, you know, you put you put, you put your crazy words in God's hand and let Him answer your prayers. But for our team, I, I keep telling these guys, the trials and tribulations will build character of a true championship team. It may not look good all the time, but we keep fighting. We keep fighting. It doesn't matter who's on the court in a wars uniform. We always feel like we always have enough. And hopefully these, these lessons that we learned early with all the injuries, you know, losing some games we we lost in the last three games. It's teaching us a lesson. I truly believe at the end of the year, we're going to be rewarded for these lessons that we learned. You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, a lot of times in that environment, I'm very I'm very emotional, but I always speak from the heart. Um, you know, I understand, um, you know, the importance of of winning and, and trying to win. And, you know, when you've been in my position for many years um, and settled, so really, to be quite honest, uh, every Type of spectrum that you can you can sit on as a professional athlete, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it may be. Um, you know, you, you feel a certain type of way towards these games, and you know, especially when you come into you know basically the end of your career. So everything is very very important. Um, but when I spoke about my team, you know, it was it was it was strictly from the heart, you know, and I think sometimes um, the average fan um, disconnects you know, sports and feelings and emotions, you know, when it comes to you know, personal part of us. And um, that's where I was and, you know, it wasn't it wasn't for sure it was for anything. It was just really just speaking about where we where we are as a team and um, you know, you know, my just my thought process behind it. And, you know, to this very day I haven't even watched it yet, you know, because um, I guess it's just something that, you know, doesn't need to be watched because it's something that I feel and something that we're actually going through so uh, I appreciate, you know, the love and the support that people have show uh, for that. And hopefully things that I talked about um, in that uh, interview is something that they can, you know, they can see and continue to see uh, for the rest of this year.
2: I appreciate your time. And, and you have won the uh, hearts and, and loyalty of Warrior fans with your play and with that interview the other night. Uh, again, best of luck and thank you again for your time. Thank right, Thank you.
1: Champion oh. over Duncan oh. elevation sensation for Harrison. Harrison
0: Barnes Golden State Warriors basketball we now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable The Golden State
2: Warriors continue to try to make the Bay Area an even better place to live. And recently, the Warriors launched their Plays for the Holidays outreach campaign. To tip off the campaign, the Warriors hosted Shop with the Warriors at a lucky supermarket in the Bay Area where five families in need were provided with a holiday food shopping spree. On hand to help out... Warriors players Festus Ezeli and Clay Thompson, along with assistant coaches Joe Boylan and Lindsey Hunter, and KTVU Channel 2 News reporter Sal Castaneda. The plays for the holidays campaign is all part of the Golden State Warriors' season of giving, part of the NBA season of giving. And the league has also launched a social media campaign called hashtag #NBAGiveBig. That's NBA Give Big, and the entire NBA family. We'll be tweeting out news about their events, helping you share all the wonderful things that are taking place during this holiday season. The Warriors try to make the Bay Area an even better place to live, trying to make this holiday season just a little bit brighter.
4: This is something that the Warriors
1: take very seriously, is giving back for the holidays. So we're going to have the families go shop, enjoy
4: yourselves. It's a lifetime experience
5: that I will never forget. Lucky's doing a great thing, you know, helping people in need. And Thanksgiving is, you know, a time that you're supposed to give thanks for what you have. And, you know, it's awesome to be able to, you know, come out and be a part of the community and, you know, hopefully, you know, make the holiday special.
3: We're here at Lucky Supermarket, shopping for Thanksgiving for five great families.
4: And we're going to kick off the day with some good, you know, getting some ham and turkey. Truly a blessing to be a part of something like this. And we're just wishing everybody happy holidays from the Golden State Warriors. This cart is full.
0: Warriors basketball. Play Thompson launches again and
1: buries a three from right White and for all the Clippers man. Uh-oh, got a shootout. Okay, Corral, here we
0: go. We now continue with more of Warriors Rounding.
2: Time now to answer your questions. So Warriors Box Warriors V-O-X on Twitter, so make sure you get there. Or you can send me an email at the Warriors website. That's Tim timroy, t i m r o y e at Warriors.com, we try to sift through and get to as many as we can. The Warriors made a transaction today. They waived to Senator Dwayne Debman before they left for Houston. Now, on the trip, uh, going with the Warriors, are Andre Iguodala and uh, Tony Douglas. The other night, Mark Jackson said that Douglas is closer... Then Iga in coming back in his pregame press conference. But both those guys are on the trip. They're both continuing the rehab process and hopefully we'll have some good news for you sometime soon. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at WarriorsVox. As soon as I find out if either one of those guys is going to be playing anytime soon, we'll let you know via Twitter. Well, Michael wants to know, why did the Warriors waive Dwayne Dedman? Instead of sending him to the Santa Cruz Warriors, how many open roster spots are there now? Well, right now, Michael, there is one roster spot open with uh, Dwayne Dedman being waived. It just allows the general manager, Bob Myers, a little bit more flexibility. Should something come up? Should there be a player that the Warriors would want to bring in and maybe sign to a contract? Don't forget that coming up in January, uh, Golden State can sign players to 10-day contracts. So that can start on January the 6th. And then all contracts are guaranteed for the remainder of the season on January 10th. Those are two dates to keep in mind. Uh, but again, I think it's more of a flexibility thing. And with the, the Warriors getting healthier now, Festus Ezeli should be back sometime after the first of the year. That's something where having an open roster spot allows you to make, you know, deals of odd numbers of players. So uh, keep that in mind as well. Well, yesterday the NBA was trying to play an international game in Mexico City. The Warriors were there years ago in the preseason, but this was a regular season game between the San Antonio Spurs and the Minnesota Timberwolves. But things did not go as planned. Alan Horton is the voice of the Timberwolves.
4: So then the power went out, and the auxiliary lights came on, so the players continued to warm up. And either the power failure caused this escalator fire in one of the stairwells, or the escalator fire, you know, I don't know which came first. Um, But anyway, the escalator fire has created a lot of smoke. It has been, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, you can really smell it in the air that there's something, you know, significantly burning. Um, and originally, the smoke kind of trickled out one entrance into the arena floor, and then it kind of came in two, and then it came a little stronger. And then they told the players to go back to the locker room. Um, and then about five minutes later, then they said, you know, hey, let's get everybody off the arena floor, head into the back, where which at, at the time was not smoke-filled. And then we've gone from the back of the arena out the tunnel back to the back parking lot where the buses are. So we've got fresh air back here. Uh, the tunnel has now become really hazy back there, so it's very clear that there is a significant
2: amount smoke inside the building. Keep those questions coming. We'll try to answer as many as we can. Don't forget, you can give the gift of Warriors basketball with a Holiday Hoops mini plan. brought to you by Jamba Juice. Four and six game packages feature the Lakers, the Clippers, the Rockets and the Heat. Get your Holiday Hoops mini plan tonight and receive a $10 Jamba Juice gift card. Go to warriors.com slash holiday hoops or call 1-888-GSW hoop and press option number 1. Coming up, we'll look ahead to the future opponents, the Warriors Next four games broken down by the voices of the Rockets, the Grizzlies, the Bobcats, and the Dallas Mavericks. That's next on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on CAMBR 680, the sports leader.
0: Golden State Warriors basketball.
2: Left side, Boga, Touch pass to David Lee. Two hand, rim racker for Lee.
0: We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now to check the schedule. The Warriors in Houston, they'll take on the
2: Rockets tomorrow night. The Rockets were a big addition in the offseason of Dwight Howard to a team that was already deep and talented. How are the Rockets doing? Let's check in with Craig Ackerman. He's the voice of the Rockets. You knew going in with Dwight Howard, you know, going to Houston in the offseason, you had nothing but storylines to develop. But there's been a whole bunch of other stories going on there, too, as well as Howard fitting in. Uh, let's start with James Harden. Harden's been a little a little banged up of late. How is he doing?
5: Uh, he's he's back. He missed uh, four games overall, three games with the with the foot bruise, um, but he appears to be uh, back from that. I mean, James does what James does, which is score the ball at an efficient uh, and an elite level. Uh, his defense still lagging far behind his offensive uh, capabilities, so that remains a, a work in progress. But uh, he's probably the well, if he's not the best, he's probably amongst the top three best shooting guards in the NBA these days, so uh, the Rockets are glad to have him, and he does everything they need him to do. He gets to the rim, he gets to the free-throw line, and he shoots threes.
2: There's no doubt he gets to the free-throw line like nobody's business. Uh, there was also a, a brief uh, uh, thought of a trade Omar Ashik wanted to, to uh, possibly go somewhere else. Has that been sorted out?
5: Uh, no, that has not been sorted out. Um as is the case with Daryl Morey, all, all options are on the table and will remain on the table. Not only for him, but probably for the majority of this roster, he works the uh, the trade wires probably as hard as anybody does in the NBA. And you know, if and if they do ultimately decide to deal him, um, it's going to have to be uh, in a situation that greatly benefits the Rockets. They're they're just not going to trade him for the sake of trading him because he's just too valuable. Uh, of a player. I mean, he gives the Rockets as the backup to Dwight Howard. I mean, they tried him in the starting lineup early in the season along with Dwight. I thought that was going to work out. It didn't. And so they have since changed things with Terrence Jones, but he gives the Rockets 48 minutes of of great defense on the interior. And again, he's just too valuable of a piece just to be dealt for
2: the sake of being dealt. And what's the deal with Daryl Morey and and Mark Cuban?
5: Uh, Well, Mark had some, some comments to say about how you know, Dwight obviously didn't choose them, and had some comments on, on that. And, and I think he threw something in on on Dirk as well. I mean, I, I think Daryl's called about every player in the NBA, so I don't think Mark Cuban should be especially um, you know um, missed at that. I imagine that Daryl's made some calls about Steph Curry as well. So I mean, well, that's just what he does.
2: You know, and I always tell people the same thing. Hey, this is a league where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Will Chamberlain got traded. Anybody can get traded in this league. Hey, Joe you know? Johnson
5: got dealt. Anybody yeah. can be traded.
2: <laughs> uh, Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy Lin is, is out, and obviously he has a tremendous following here in, in the, the Bay Area. But w- was, was Patrick Beverly moving ahead of him on the depth chart?
5: Uh, well, no, he, he has. I wouldn't say he's moved ahead of him in the depth chart. But he has moved ahead of him in terms of the Rockets' regular starting point guard. It's not because Pat Beverly is a better player than Jeremy Lin, per se. He's just a better fit with the Rockets' starting unit because you look at that group and you have James Harden who needs the ball in his hands to be successful and the ball should be in his hands. And then you have Dwight Howard and you have Chandler Parsons, and that would limit Jeremy's options on offense. And so now with him coming off the bench – He is able to do things that more suit his game. Now they can give him the ball. He can be a primary scorer. He is so good, again, dominating off pick and rolls. He's one of the better driving kick players in all the NBA, and he can legitimately be a six-man-of-the-year candidate. So it really has nothing to do with It's not being demoted. It just had to do primarily with fit, and they felt that Pat Beverly, with him not needing or desiring to score the basketball and his tenacious defense, it was just a better option to have him in that particular starting lineup as opposed to Jeremy, but they're, they're still very high on Jeremy.
2: And the, the Rockets off to a, a great start, but all that does, you know, sort of like the Warriors that Warriors are missing a right now, but, you know, you get off a decent start, all it does is put you in the middle of the pack in the West.
5: Uh, yeah, I think everybody would like to uh, petition themselves uh, to a move to the Eastern Conference. The West is just so... Crazy deep and loaded in the Rockets. Yeah, I mean they've they dealt with a lot of injuries early on. I mean you we've know, talked about Harden. Jeremy's out with a knee injury. Uh, Beverly missed some time early on. Chandler Parsons has been dealing with um, with back spasms uh, for a month plus. Um, Francisco Garcia has a bit of a toe thing. Omer Asik has had uh, currently has a, a bit of a thigh contusion. So uh, they've dealt with some injuries, but this roster is really deep, extremely versatile. Greg Smith has, has been out with a knee injury as well, and so. They really leaned on their depth to help pick up the pace, or else uh, pick up the slack, rather, with some of these guys out and the bench has just done a, a fantastic job. Guys like Garcia when he's played, and Omri Caspi, who was sort of relegated to no man's land the last couple of years, has had a rebirth in his career. Aaron Brooks is a luxury to have as your third-point guard, and he's played very well. And so, again, it's a testament to Darrell's ability to uh, seek out players on uh, pretty bargain deals and get the most out of them and the coaches when they do arrive in town.
2: Rockets with the uh, second-best differential in the West. It's always an important staff. Craig, thank you so much for your time, and and best of luck with your coverage on the Houston Rockets.
5: I appreciate it. Really looking forward to the game.
2: Also want to welcome Craig to Twitter. You can follow him at uh, CA underscore Rockets. So follow Craig Ackerman on Twitter for NBA and Houston Rockets news.
5: Appreciate it. Thank you.
2: So tomorrow night here in Houston, 445 is the airtime on KBR 680. Then it's on to Memphis where we are told that it's going to be an ice storm awaiting us in Memphis. Saturday afternoon, Warriors and the Grizzlies. And, of course, the Grizzlies have the Warriors number. They have won the first two meetings this year. They swept the Warriors a year ago. But this time they will not have Mark Gasol manning the paint. Let's check in with the voice of the Grizzlies, Eric Hasseltine. What's the update on, on uh, the reigning defensive player of the year?
6: Well, I mean, if anybody knows the injury bug, unfortunately for the Warriors fans, it's them. They've been snake bit over the years, as we both know. Um, for Marcus, Gasol, he's out indefinitely. It was a knee sprain, and Tim, you know, you and I both know that those can be really painful, and you just don't want to rush a guy back. Uh, it, it's still early in the season. The Grizzlies are 9-8. and eight. It's not where they would have hoped to have been. You know, they would have much rather, obviously, be 12-5, and 11-6, but... You know, with a coaching change and some new faces, it's just where you are. And the loss of Mark Gasol has hurt. It changes the way you play defense. It changes the way you facilitate the offense. Thankfully, they had Costa Cufos, who they acquired in a trade on draft day for Darrell Arthur. And this was kind of the reason why. You just never know when a guy may go down. And uh, they had been very fortunate last year. People forget that the Grizzlies, you know, as good as they were making that run of the Western Conference Finals, they were remarkably healthy. No starter missed more than just – unheard of. So it's an indefinite absence as they've told us because I don't I don't think they want to put a date on it. Because knowing Mark and I've known him since he got here as a rookie. I even knew him when he was in high school, he will try to play tomorrow if he thinks he can put pressure on them. And that's what they're trying to discourage and trying to get him to see, hey, listen, we need you a lot more in February, March and April than we do right now, even though we've got a long homestand that we're in the midst of, but you got to be 100% to get back out there. So rather than say, hey, it's four to six weeks, and at the end of six weeks he's sitting there going, hey, you told me six weeks I'm ready to go. They said he's out indefinitely. We'll evaluate it on a daily basis. I've seen him in the weight room doing some uh, sit-down stuff uh, to try to keep his upper body strength up, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the next couple weeks start to move around on it a little bit. But he's flat-out set. Make no mistake about it, the minute I can put pressure on it, I'm going to start – trying
2: to get back ready to play. It's, it's funny for Warrior fans and for yours truly to try to figure out uh, the Grizzlies this year because both times we've seen the Grizzlies they played a pretty good basketball game and once without uh, Tony Allen uh, but yet it's a team that has a better road record than home record. Uh, you guys have yet to win a game in the division. Are are they taking steps forward and then maybe a step back? Is, is that fair?
6: I, I think that that's fair yet it's also hard to pinpoint it just as that you know listen the the games they've lost in the division two to san antonio who obviously is awesome once again and houston who's playing really well the new orleans pelicans always give the grizzlies problems for whatever reason whether anthony davis is healthy or not it's just one of those matchups that we see in the league that you just go hey that'd be tough because they have the right pieces to, to go against what your strengths are um the road thing is hard to explain they've won five straight games on the road that West Coast road trip that you were talking about where the Grizzlies came back in the game against Golden State uh, on your guys' home floor, and Tony Allen wasn't playing, and I'll be honest with you, everybody on the bus was like, hey, we might go out and get our teeth kicked in, but this is a 3 and one West Coast road trip, and uh, if that ends up what does happen, I think we'll all be okay with it, but at least go out and compete, and they did that, and by doing that, you can put yourself in a position to win a game, and I think that's the one thing they haven't done. What we saw in that game against Golden State after the, the little bit of a sluggish start was they just played. They played free. They played loose. You know, they let guys make plays, and they let things happen. They didn't try to be too perfect. The one thing that this team that I've seen throughout the season and the early going that's been the Achilles heel has been guys passing open shots to try to create what they feel will be a better opportunity for a teammate or themselves. And as you and I both know, sometimes that first shot that you get is the best one you're getting in that 24 second shot clock and it may come with 18 on the shot clock but if it's there you got to take it. And too many times we see grizzly players pass on open jump shots, try to drive into traffic, throw the ball around and the turnovers start to mount. When this team takes care of the ball, when they're aggressive to score like they were last night against Phoenix, a team that they really just blasted in the second half, uh, then you know they, they, then they're good. And they're good. And even without their two guys in their last game against the Phoenix Suns, uh, you know, then if they got double doubles from Ed Davis and John Luehr, and they've been getting bench production because they weren't worried about whether or not they should take a shot or it. They just went out and played. And I think that that's a, a lesson a lot of teams can, can learn over and over again. We can dumb down the game and we can try to muck it up and we can try to run all these fancy gimmicks when the, 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 the horn goes off. If you didn't go out and just play the game, you're probably going to come up on the short end of the stick.
2: You know, it's funny is is one of the reasons I was talking about your divisional record is I think for the 7-8 and eight spot, certainly, but maybe even for position, I think the West is so balanced that all of a sudden the head-to-head matchup, the divisional yep. record, the conference record, those are going to come into play, and it, it could bounce a team out.
6: Yeah. No, I agree. and I do, and it's just – and that's where the Grizzlies kind of draw the short end of the stick on that. I, I don't disagree with you one one bit. I think they're better than a 500 team, just as, as I still think that the the Warriors are. And I think they're the, the six elite teams are still the same, even with Portland going off to this incredibly hot start, winning 15 out of 18 games. They may be it may be seven elite teams, and you may be battling one through seven. It may be a fight for that eighth playoff spot, and that may belong to Dallas. And then you still have to talk about Minnesota in the mix and. Uh, there's a lot of good teams in there. But you're right, and that's, again, like I said, the Grizzlies draw the short end of the stick on that because they've got San Antonio, and they've got Houston in their division, and they've got Dallas in their division, and they've got the New Orleans Pelicans, and Dallas is tough on the home floor. But I think the wins against those teams will come. And I think with this team, you know, we've seen them, as, as you mentioned, knock off Golden State a couple of times, already have beaten the Clippers. Uh, but sometimes take a step back and, and lose a game that's a head scratcher, like the game against the Brooklyn Nets, who were undermanned as well. And you think, well, wow, they're coming off the second night of a back to back. You should take them on the home floor. And the Grizzlies just didn't guard very well on the perimeter. And I don't care who you're guarding, whether it's Andre Blatch or uh, anybody else in the league. If you leave them wide open and they've shot threes in the past, odds are if they're wide open, they're probably going to make them. Ask John Luer for the Grizzlies, who started making threes because guys aren't respecting it. And, you know, hopefully will continue to do that because I've seen the guy make threes, and I'd love to see people continue to leave him on because I think he's got a good chance
1: of making it.
2: And then that's what happens when a guy gets injured too. A guy like John Lord gets a chance to show you something, and it may, mm-hmm. you know, if you survive the injury with your record, then it may be a blessing in disguise. What What other players do you think are, are having uh, good seasons this year for the Grizzlies? Who has caught your eye as to really playing solid basketball night in, night out?
6: Well, the obvious choice is Mike Conley. I mean, right. he's been fantastic from day one. So, I mean, guys that maybe people haven't thought of, Costa Kufos has been outstanding. Uh, it took him a few games to get accustomed to what this team was doing as compared to what he did for two years in Denver. And you and I both know watching that Denver team, it wasn't really structured. It wasn't really, you know, grinded out. It was hair on fire, run up and down the floor basketball. And for Costa Kufos and Javel McGee, their job was to fill the lanes, offensive rebound, put the ball back up and in, Or kick it back out and get set for another potential offensive rebound. They weren't really focal points. And so uh, he stepped in and played amazing basketball, especially on the defensive end. I think we see just how athletic he really is. and People don't give him enough credit for that. Uh, Mike Miller's been good. He's had games where he hasn't been good. He's had games where he's been outstanding. Jared Bayless, kind of same way, up and down. The surprising thing has been Quincy Pondexter, who looked great in training camp, but really hasn't brought that to the table same with ed davis they've been inconsistent uh, davis since zach randolph went out for a couple of games with an ingrown toenail has played much better And i think we see hey he's much better as a starter so what this does with seeing john Lewis play better now it gives you some options because you know mark will be back and you know zach will be back these aren't season-ending injuries well now you've got a guy in john Lewis that's shown he's capable of playing against starting rotations against bench guys and if ed davis is more comfortable as a starter and he has value Maybe you explore, explore a trade possibility. Maybe you, you send them up to Cleveland for a Dion Waiters and a, a young shooter that could help you more than a athletic big that is better starting but is never going to start ahead of Zach Randolph unless Zach's hurt. So, I think the way John's played has been fantastic, and they need to get the consistency, you know, from guys like Pondexter and guys like Davis when they're bench guys. And I think what has fallen into the, the uh, what these guys have fallen into. Is that I want to do more. I want to show I can do more. Whereas Lionel Hollins, the former coach of the Grizzlies, once told me the hardest thing for some young basketball players to do is not only know your role, but accept your role and go out and fulfill your role every night. You may know your role is a defensive-minded wing player that's not going to shoot a lot. That's going to, you know, occasionally drive to the basket when you have the opportunity, and uh, you know, help out when you can where that guy thinks I want to be a guy that scores 15 points a game off the bench, and I want to facilitate for my teammates, and I want to create. Well, that's not what they need you to do. And when you do that, it changes what other guys are doing, and it kind of messes up the whole plan. So um, that's been kind of a surprising thing that, that Quincy hasn't taken that to heart more so. And I think he will get it, I, and I don't blame a young guy for wanting to do more. I'd rather have young guys out there trying to do more than young guys out there thinking that they're better than they are and not putting out the effort. So, uh, the Grizzlies need these guys to step up right now. It's a tough time. It's going to be a tough game against the Warriors come Saturday night. Uh, certainly those guys in, in Mark Jackson's locker room uh, want to take a chunk out of the Grizzlies for what's happened in the first two games and what's happened over the last couple of seasons. And I can't explain it. I'm sure you can't either because I think the Warriors are a tremendous basketball team. And to look at that and say – they have this win streak against a really good team. It is perplexing to me at times.
2: Eric Castleton, always a pleasure, and uh, thank you so much, my friend.
6: Tim Roy, it's my pleasure, sir. You have a happy holidays. Look forward to seeing you in Memphis, my brother.
2: Then this odd three-game set will wrap up Monday night in Charlotte as the Warriors will take out the Bobcats for the last time in Charlotte because next year they'll be the Hornets. Let's check in with the voice of the Bobcats slash Hornets, and that's Scott Lauer. It has to be exciting times for the Bobcats. They're playing better basketball. They have a couple of nice young pieces. Al Jefferson is there now to to help out with the scoring load. And of course, they're they're kind of turning the clock back with the name change. Let's start with that. How important is that to to the fan base there to bring back the Hornets name?
6: Hey Tim, yeah, no, it's it's been uh, paramount in facilitating the switch because the the marketing team did a, a wonderful job. They did their due diligence. They sent out all these. Extensive surveys in the Charlotte community many, many months ago. They were just trying to get the temperature of the community in terms of how receptive they would be uh, for a name change, going back to the old Hornets name. And from my understanding, there was an 80 percent approval rating uh, for in favor a Hornets reunion uh, with the the city. So. Uh, everybody's behind it. You know, they obviously wanted to make sure if they were going to make this this big investment and scrap all the logos, the colors, and change billboards and apparel and the whole thing, that it was well worth it and they'll be getting the return on investment. In addition to more of an emotional, nostalgic attachment from some of the the old time fans here, and uh, it's it's really, I mean, truly a buzz. You know, I hate to use that cliche, but I mean, it really was an exciting time this summer when the NBA made the official announcement that. The Bobcats, we changed the name to the Hornets. There was this, this big party uh, outdoors near the arena. There were a few thousand people there. Uh, everybody was getting fired up. And uh, about a week and a half ago, we just revealed that the old purple and teal colors would be coming back. And, of course, that was a signature look for the Hornets. So it, it's really an exciting time. But, you know, ultimately, as you know, the novelty can and will wear off if the team doesn't produce. And so now we're actually starting to see that, that needle move a little bit on the floor. And as you mentioned, Al Jefferson, he was the centerpiece of, of that transition. He was the prize for each acquisition. And he's just a load to handle down low. And for the first time in our ten-year history, we finally have a guy that has to be reckoned with underneath as uh, a terrific low post scorer and rebounder. So I think things are now coming together. Not only on the court but also, you know, the confluence of the name change, I think I think next year is going to be really exciting.
2: Steve Clifford is the head coach of the Charlotte Bobcats, and by all accounts, he is a a, a very good hire. Uh, he is a, a, an NBA coach's coach. Uh, tell me about the impact that he has had on the roster.
6: I I love Coach Clifford. Everybody does. Uh, he's one of these types of guys. I mean, I'll first start off with his his persona, which I think is just more important than anything.
4: He He handles
6: himself so well, and he makes everybody feel like You've known him for 25 years. I mean, I remember the first time I introduced myself to him this summer. We were chatting comfortably you know, about personal things. I mean, he, he just has that type of an aura about him. And it just resonates around the league. I mean, literally every team that we play, another broadcaster, um, whether it's you know yourself, one of our colleagues, or a different coach, or a scout, whoever it is, will always say something nice about Coach Clifford and say, I was really happy to hear that he got your job. I reached out to him. I've known him for X amount of years, and, and I get that all the time. And I can see why. Uh, so people respect him. People like him. He's paid his dues. He was an NBA assistant for, for 12 years, mainly under the Van Gundy's book, Jeff and Stan. And, uh, and we're all elated to have him, I think, by far. He's, he's been our, our best coaching hire in our 10-year history. Uh and he's he's really trying to change the culture because it has been a losing organization uh for eight of the the first nine years heading into this one. And and he knows it's going to take time and it's all about the players and getting smart guys that are competitive, that are talented. And he can he can shape the roster to the best of his ability. And he's doing that right now because they're they're playing the second best defense in the NBA statistically in terms of points allowed at, at eighty nine, only trailing the Indiana Pacers. And, uh, you know, this is a, a big change from last year, and, and many of the, the guys have remained. So I think it's a testament to the job that he's done.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because we saw the same turnaround here in Oakland with Mark Jackson, and changing the culture is exactly the phrase that he used. Uh, and, and, of course, starting with the defensive end, you can get the offense to come around. Uh, on the defensive side, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is out. How much will that hurt?
6: Yeah, we don't know the extent of it. It's a fractured left hand. Uh, he was going to be evaluated today here in Charlotte. Um, so now you look at that small forward spot, and you lose more of a shutdown defender. You know, he's never the type of guy that will drop an offensive play for, but he'll put in his 10 garbage points tonight. And, you know, you, you're going to miss that hustle. And he's got a knack for the ball. He, he knows how to play. Uh, Jeff Taylor may get some opportunities here to start, which has been the case. For the last year-plus, since they both joined the league together at that small forward spot. Uh, I think you may see a little more uh, of a former warrior, Anthony Tolliver, in certain matchups. And by the way, Coach Clifford continues to laud you know, his virtues. He absolutely appreciates what Tolliver's all about. He knows the game. He's an excellent practice player. He's got just a, such a high basketball IQ. So I know Coach likes to use Tolliver in certain matchups against some smaller threes, uh, or fours for that matter. Um, so I think you'll, you'll see some of those guys. And for what that's worth, you'll probably get more of an outside shooting threat with one of those two versus MKG, but uh, you, you may lose something
7: defensively.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the, the, a couple of players. I, I'm curious to see where, where their situation's at. Uh, uh, first of all, Ben Gordon, th- where does he fit into this franchise, and is he, is he a guy that if they got the right offer, uh, they would move him?
6: I would think so. I mean, he's he's in the last year of his deal. You know, he's making thirteen million. Uh, so you can look at it two ways. He's an expiring asset for a contract, uh, whether it's here or another team values that. Uh, or maybe you'll have a playoff team that is eyeing a guy that can come off the bench and, and capture lightning in a bottle if he's on for a particular night with his outside shooting. And maybe maybe a team feels that it's worth giving something up maybe a younger player in return. So um, I'm sure, I don't know what's going on in our front office in terms of dialogue, but I'm, I'm sure they'd be receptive to, to any inquiries.
2: Bismack Biambo is, has struggled on the offensive end. He does bring you some intangibles on the defensive side. Uh, what What is his season turning out to be, and what kind of upside does he have?
6: Yeah, Bismack, he's... Uh, He's definitely a guy that needs to focus on his rebounding and, and trying to alter shots and block others. And, and I know that Coach Clifford has conveyed that to him and stressed, that's how you're going to earn your minutes. Don't worry about things on the offensive side uh, because that's not where his skill set lies. Um, people have carved out long careers just rebounding well and, and blocking and altering shots, and that's okay. Um, and he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, and I know it's tough because when you're the seventh overall pick, expectations can run high. And uh, he's a guy that started most of his action the first couple of years, but now, of course, with Al Jefferson on board, uh, he's been relegated to the bench role. Other than when Jefferson was out for a period with a sprained right ankle injury, uh, but you know he, he still will show glimpses of, of being a ferocious type of a rebounder. Um, and he had a great game last week against Milwaukee at 12 first half rebounds, seven points. So I think there are games and certain matchups where he can still contribute. But for the most part right now, uh, it's, it's down to you know anywhere from, from 10 to 20 minutes on any given night, as long as Jefferson is healthy.
2: And Jeff Adrian's getting some time for the Bobcats. He's a guy that works really hard. Warrior fans will remember him fondly.
6: hmm No, I, I love Jeff. I mean, he, he's a terrific guy. I uh, know we've talked about this before. If he was just a few inches taller, you know, oh. those minutes increase exponentially. Um, but he, you know, he's a ferocious rebounder for a guy his size, especially, and uh, he just—he's he, got that good plus-minus ratio in a lot of games. And Coach Clifford has recognized that. And in fact, speaking about Biombo and, and Adrian last week, at least for a few games, three games worth, Adrian supplanted Biombo as the primary big off the bench. Uh, backing up Jefferson, so and at the five or four spot depending on matchups. So uh, Adrian, when he plays, he generally has a positive impact on the game, and you know he's very tied with Kemble Walker. they team together at uconn of course, reunited here. so there's good synergy there and, and people you know respect what Adrian can do on the floor. So I like seeing him out there because I, I think generally good things happen. He's also an underrated high post passer, which we haven't seen much of this year, but we saw a little bit of it last year. Um, so I think I think every team needs somebody like that.
2: Final question, uh, the, the Bobcats are under 500, but that puts them right in the middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference. Uh, are they a playoff team?
6: Heading into the year, I wasn't so sure. Uh, but looking at the, the abysmal conference with two teams have winning records, uh, as of this, this chat, um, how can you say they're not? Uh, because right now they are. Um, right. I think you know looking at their schedule they've got a they've got a shot to be close to 500 a month from now heading into the new year and I think if they can can maintain this type of a pace you know they'll, they'll position themselves okay now obviously I think everybody expected Chicago Brooklyn and New York to be far better than they are right now and for a variety of reasons mainly injuries uh, they're not but I still think they're all going to turn it around to a degree Um But naturally, it's all about Indiana and Miami at the very top, and everybody else is far below. Um, So I think this year, I think virtually every team has an opportunity to make the playoffs in the East.
2: All right, sir, we appreciate your time as always, and the and best of luck with your coverage and your call of the Charlotte Bobcats. Thank you. Thank you. Then following the game in Charlotte on Monday night, Golden State will be back home. They'll actually be in the Bay Area for four straight days, and they'll start it with a Wednesday night game against the Dallas Mavericks. The voice of the Mavericks is Chuck Cooperstein. So, Chuck, can give me a rundown on the Dallas Mavericks and, and, uh, and where you see them right now. Are they right about where you thought they would be at this point of the season?
7: I think given the nature of the schedule, uh, it probably so, you know, so many back to backs early in the year. They've, they've already played you know, seven back to backs, uh, which is more than anybody in the league. Uh, you know, with, a, with, a, with an older team and a team, frankly, that uh, has a lot of new parts to it. So, you know, they've done pretty well. Uh, and, and in some ways, maybe even have exceeded some expectations simply because, you know, no one really knew how well Monte Ellis was going to fit in with Dirk. And certainly there were questions about, you know, whether Dirk was really going to be healthy from the get-go because he hadn't been the last two years. But he is healthy, and he and Monte have just been dynamic together. And it gives them a chance every time they go out.
2: You know, I think uh, Monte, in one sense, is is kind of one of the league's more misunderstood players because I think if you ask him to do a role, he will go out and do it.
7: Oh, absolutely. And and you saw this, uh, you know, he's a willing passer. Uh, you know, he wants to make good, correct plays, a lot of times it becomes a function of who he's playing with. And quite frankly, he's never had a player of Dirk's ilk along his side. And he's really responded tremendously to it. And and, and Dirk has certainly appreciated it, too, for the space that it's helped create for
2: him. Has there been any talk, because this was a a huge story when when he was out here and when Steph Curry was drafted, has there been any talk about size of the backcourt in Dallas? Yeah,
7: there was certainly. I mean, you know, there there are some backcourts that are are definitely going to provide some problems. I I think we we even saw it when the the Mavericks played Philadelphia early in the year. Philadelphia has has a huge backcourt, uh, and and there were some issues with that. But uh, but for the most part, generally not, because uh, I think that Monte's quickness has pretty much negated whatever size has gone up against him. And Jose Calderon is such a good shooter as a three-point shooter that uh, you know, when Monte begins his drives into the lane and he's leading the league and throwing us to the basket, you know it, you got to go defend him or he's going to score. But then he's been willing to kick it back out, and Calderon only shoot about 50% from three. So, you know, it's really a damn if you do and damn if you
2: don't. Yeah, Calderon is so unselfish. I think if he was a little more selfish, people would know just how good a shooter he is.
7: No, he, he, i tell you what. And, and the thing that's interesting about him, Tim, is that he's good either on the catch-and-shoot or off the bounce. In fact, I don't know that I've seen really too many players in the league that are better off the bounce than he is, You know, especially you know, on his way to the basket. I mean, there are some obviously like Dirk you who know, can get to the post, you know, bouncing a few times and then shoot. But just you know, the ability to take an escape dribble, get away from someone, and pull up and shoot that way, he's terrific and, and very, very underrated, I think, in that regard.
2: What is it about Dirk Nowitzki? We know how talented he is, but why is he able to do this You know, barring, you know, Sands' injury. But year after year after year, what makes him so special?
7: Well, the work ethic, and, you know, you probably see that about any great player. I mean, his work ethic is legendary. Uh, And he's always wanted, you know, offensively to try to bring something new to his game every year. And, you know, I don't know that he's doing that this year necessarily in his 16th year. I I think the whole package is pretty much in place. But uh, you know it's just relentless repetition, and, and the knowledge that you know even like in, in the game against Charlotte when he was uh, he was terrible in the first half and shot one of ten, uh, you know some people might run from that situation and say, yeah, it's not my night. You know, let somebody else go carry the load. Uh, you know, he's always been willing to take on you know the load regardless of the circumstance. And in the second half of that game when they needed him to do that. He did, you know, shot 9 of 11, wound up, you know, with a huge fourth quarter, and when they needed points the most, uh, he was able to deliver the goods.
2: I uh, would need an update uh, on old friend Brandon Wright, one of the nicer guys you're going to meet in the NBA. Uh, I know he got banged up in, in training camp, and and uh, what are they looking for, for him, from him uh, the rest of the year?
7: Well, you are know, you know, hoping to get him back pretty soon. You know, maybe even by the time that uh, the Mavericks and Warriors play next week, uh, you Working at it, but you know, no one really seems to know just how close he is. The Mavericks are are very close mouthed about injuries. And they had the same situation involving Kevin Harris right now. Uh, you know, they now they believe that Harris was going to be back before Brandon Wright, but now so we're in uh, early December here, and uh, Harris isn't back yet. Although he's definitely ramped up his work, and more so than, than Wright has. But uh, Brandon Wright is really important for the Mavericks just for the. Uh, the uh, unorthodox nature of his game uh, between Calabar and DeWalt Blair, who's been terrific since coming over from San Antonio. And, uh, you know, you've got the bulk, you've got height, and then with Brandon Wright, you've got, uh, you know, that athleticism and liveness in the body that, uh, that can make it really difficult for teams to figure out who you're playing against and try to match up against that. I think Rick Carlisle wants that luxury. He just hasn't been able to run it out there yet.
2: Three rookie guards on the roster. Uh, which one do you think has a chance to be the the breakout guard?
7: Well, Larkin well, is the guy that I think that they're counting on the most. Um, you know, uh, you know, Leno is down at uh, at uh, the D League right now, and he just needs to play. I mean, you know, he didn't play basketball in Providence last year, uh, and he hadn't played much here, but they needed him up here because of the injuries. So he was, you know, really a practice body more than anything else. Uh, he's an interesting prospect for sure. I mean, he was certainly a highly recruited player out of high school. But, you know, Larkin has uh, got some skins on the wall, obviously, from his, his time in Miami. But, uh, like every guard in the NBA, like just about everybody in the NBA, not all of them, but uh, the vast majority of them, they have to learn how to play at the NBA level. And, and Larkin missed all the training camp, missed all the summer league because of a broken ankle. So, really, he's in his training camp period right now, and he's, he's struggling to find a shot. Uh, he's struggling to pick up coverages defensively. I mean, You can see the pure athleticism that's there, uh, and he definitely has some leadership uh, you know, in him. Uh, and, and the fact that he is a draft choice, uh, and certainly one that Rick Carlisle very much lobs for on draft night, I think of those three guys, you know, he's the guy that could have the most immediate impact. Alito, you know, with his size and his shooting ability, could have the best long-term uh, impact, but I don't think you're going to see that for a couple of years.
2: Chuck, if people want to follow you on Twitter and find out more about the NBA, the Mavs, and I, I know occasionally the college football tweet comes out and the Dallas Cowboy tweet comes out, uh, where would they go to?
7: At Coop Mavs.
2: There you go. Chuck, always a pleasure.
7: Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you having me.
2: That's Chuck Cooperstein. I Tim, really want to thank all of my colleagues for helping out in this segment of the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. And join us as we celebrate you. The fans on the first ever Dub Nation night. It happens next Wednesday, in fact, when the Dallas Mavericks are in town. Take part in a variety of social media contests and enjoy the opportunity to receive giveaways, including a Dub Nation t shirt courtesy of eSurance. Tickets start at just $18. Buy your tickets early and save at slash Dub Nation. Hi, Tim Wayne. We'll continue We're here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable after this timeout on KMBR 680, The Sports Leader.
0: Golden State Warriors Basketball. Draymond goes to work with three, with two, runner, right-hand flip on the rim, and down! Draymond Green! We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Upcoming broadcast brought to you by Cash Creek Casino Resort. will start tomorrow night right here
2: in Houston, Texas. Warriors and Rockets. Can the Warriors contain James Harden? Shot clock at three, the dancing Harden, the defense by Bellinelli. Oh!
7: What a shot. Harden is feeling it here in this third
0: quarter. He's got the stroke, and he's put in 20.
2: Warriors and Rockets, 445 is the airtime from the Toyota Center. Then it's on Saturday in Memphis. Can the Warriors solve the equation? That is Zach Randolph.
6: Harkless tried to split a double team. Randolph poked it free. Gasol with a steal. Bounces up ahead. Conley wasn't looking. Conley will drive. Shovel to Randolph. Lays it up and in. Oh, it nearly turned into a fast break turnover. Ends up with a Zach
0: Randolph layup on the assist.
2: Warriors and Grizzlies. 4.30 the airtime on Saturday on KMBR 680. Then Monday night in Charlotte, the Warriors try to slow down the Bobcats. 3.45 is the airtime as Golden State will get a first hand look at the emerging presence of Kemba Walker. Bobcats are up as many as 16. Walker right side pull-up. Swish! Walker, white hot. 29 points on 12 of
4: 17 shooting.
2: And then next Wednesday night, back at Oracle, the Warriors entertain the Dallas Mavericks, and that means Monte Ellis is back in town, and when you pair him with a German Wunderkind, you know it's going to be a tough night. Into the lane, high dribble, picks up the dribble, bounce pass down low for... Bradley, that's blocked by Nowitzki, and there's some history for Dirk Nowitzki, the 1,000th block of his career. It's the Dub Nation Night, brought to you by e 7 o'clock, the airtime on Wednesday night, and as always on Home Games, joined by Tom Tobert. Then the weekly roundtable is next to Thursday night, right back here on KBR 680, 8 o'clock the start time. And of course, right now, 808 KBR, the number... Call Ray Woodson. He's awaiting your calls right now. If you want to come out and see the Warriors take on the Dallas Mavericks, you can look for tickets online at warriors.com or by calling 1-888-GSW-HOOP. Lots of people to thank on the tonight's show. David Feldhouse is always at the controls of the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Thank you, Jermaine O'Neill for his wonderful conversation. Also, want to thank Chuck Cooperstein, the voice of the Dallas Mavericks; Scott Lauer, the voice of the Charlotte Bobcats; the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies is Eric Hasseltine, and the voice of the Houston Rockets is Craig Ackerman. Thanking, as always, the producer who never says goodbye. That's R.C. Davis. I'm Tim Roy, Warriors and Rockets here in Houston. 4:45, the airtime of tomorrow night, right here on KMBR 680. Thanks for listening to the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Hope you enjoyed our look back at the tremendous comeback on Tuesday night. And we'll talk to you tomorrow afternoon from the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas.
0: Golden State Warriors basketball.
2: Stolen by Iguodala. Right to Clay Thompson. Back to Iguodala. One dribble goes to the rim.
0: And he scores with a right hand. For tickets, go to warriors.com. Or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.